You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Indians fans. This is Jeff Ellis, the Lockdown Indians Podcast. And I want to tell you today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. And Built Bar, once you know about their new limited release strawberry flavor, 12% off your order through October 12th on this product. And they're partnered well with Barbells for Boobs, Breast Cancer Angels, Huntsman's Cancer, Cancer Institute, Living Beyond Breast Cancer. Built will match your donation to the organization's list above up to $50 per order, plus 100% of proceeds from the Built Bar Breast Cancer Awareness Hoodie will go to these organizations to help support breast cancer patients and their families. The Breast Cancer Awareness Hoodie, they're selling for $19.95. So here's a chance to try their fantastic new strawberry flavor. Get a really cool hoodie and support uh, breast cancer awareness. So go to BuiltBar.com, use that promo code Locked On to get 10% off your order of the new strawberry flavor. BuiltBar.com, promo code Locked On. So I kind of surprised I didn't hear more feedback after the Nightmare Pitcher podcast. I thought, if nothing else, uh, some people would maybe want to debate or throw some other names at me, some other players that uh, stand out in their own history as these top prospects that flamed out. I mean, I could have dug deep. I could have gone back and looked at the Chris... Was it the Chris Chambliss trade when I was doing the history of the Cleveland Indians where the uh, the pitcher they got in that trade was... Uh, Supposed to be everything, all-world, big-time fastball. The New York uh, Times at the time hated that deal because of all the Yankees gave up, and then no no single part became useful. I decided to stick more in my own wheelhouse, and I did discuss on yesterday's show who the catcher was on this team because there's not a great catcher to line up. There's not a whole lot of early-round catchers in general for the Cleveland Indians, and for as much as they're willing to roll the dice on arms, I can kind of get why you don't want to pull the dice on catchers because they are even riskier than pitchers, if we're being perfectly honest. Uh, there has just not been a lot of early pick catchers, and, and Alex Levisky, we talked about on yesterday's show, might have been an eighth-rounder, but he got a, a million-dollar signing bonus. That's a hefty chunk of change in any round, and he barely got up to double-A and was uh, a pretty strong disappointment, so much so felt like he was the player who's like, Cleveland's like, no, we're done with Northeast Ohio. Uh, we're not even attempting to draft anyone from this region ever again. So let's, uh, let's dive into the rest of this team. Let's just go around the diamond, starting at first base. Now, I had a few players to consider for first base, and this really did become a big debate for me, who I was going to put there. And in the end, I went with, uh, I went with Bo Mills. You know, it, he could have maybe been third as well, but I decided he only played 36 games at, at uh, third base in his entire minor league career. One game in right field. Oh, what a miserable pick. Uh, his dad, you know, is the bench coach for the Indians. Bo was a at Lewis and Clark State College in Lewiston, Idaho, and they took him 13th overall. Uh, Jason Hayward was the sliding talent in that draft. That is the player I desperately wanted the Indians to draft. Uh, if you're curious about Lewis and Clark College, um, currently Seth Brown and Connor Brogdon in the majors went there. Blaine Hardy as well. And as I look over the list, I'm sure there's some guys who are from before my time that I don't uh, recognize all that well. But 
yeah, it's it, it, not exactly a powerhouse program. Let's put Keith Folk is you know stands out. Steve Reed, uh, they can, you know with Blaine Hardy in there, it's like okay, so they can produce some relievers. But Bo Mills had started out at Fresno, went to Lewis and Clark, and yeah, it was just this was my first. I think this was the first televised draft, and it was my first draft I was really digging into, and I was so disappointed by that pick. I just I remember that well, and he peaked in 2007 with the Indians. I'm sorry, 2008 with the Indians. He was drafted in 2007, right? Yeah, so 2008, he's in Kinston, and he hits 21 home runs, 54 walks, hits 293, uh, moves up to the Akron Arrows at the time, and basically never recaptures any of that glory. Spends two years in a row in Akron, uh, 725 OPS the next year down to 689, and it just falls apart on his way. Eventually ends up playing half a season in double A for the Reds. It never got close to the big leagues. 13th overall selection that 27, 2007 draft. This was when, this was towards the end of their just abomination of drafting. And uh, yeah, Bo Mills, uh, first baseman on our all nightmare team. Moving across the diamond, uh, the Indians have not failed a ton up the middle. I think that's that's a point I have to to make and talk about because when I was trying to find a second baseman, uh, there was not a lot of great choices in all honesty. So I wanted to go with a player who the Indians drafted with the intent of making him a second baseman and it went so poorly that they moved him back to outfield after seven games. Uh, and that's Trevor Crow. Before they took Jason Kipnis, uh, Trevor Crow was the outfielder that they tried to convert and it went pretty terribly. Kipnis was uh, at Arizona State while Crow went to University of Arizona. And, you know, he liked to have fun. Uh, let's put it that way. There's been some stories about him from his time in the minors. Uh, I don't know how much he was focused on the game of baseball, but after a very abbreviated attempt to have him play second base, he was moved to the outfield. And throughout his minor league career, you know, he struggled to stay healthy. He struggled to be productive. He ended up playing four years in the big leagues, 265 games, which is not bad. Now, the performance up there was not great. Uh, 616 career OPS, just couldn't do enough of anything. Wasn't a great defender, wasn't a great bat. Kicked around for a bit, and he was another one of those picks. 2005 draft, 14th overall. So another pretty high pick on a very limited upside player. Same thing they did with Bo Mills, where they had these... They weren't bad enough to be high in the draft, but they kept taking these very low-reward players that just didn't work out. Because the problem with the Bo Mills and a Trevor Crow is they have to be what you project them to be. You're projecting a guy to be slightly above average, and there's a belief that, like, oh, it's safe because we know what this guy is. But the problem is there's no margins. If these guys are not exactly what you think they can be, if there's oh, you know, he's got too much swing and a, swing and a miss, or oh, he's his contact isn't as good as we thought. Uh, they were already so close to being a below-average or quad-A player that that's what they turn into. And that that's something the Indians kind of learned. They stopped going to these type of talents basically until they took Naquin in uh, 2012. And the Naquin selection is, you can go back and look at that. I mean, that was 100%. They tried something, they've tried something in the first year of the pool system that they've never tried since. Go way under slot early and then sign a bunch of prospects you love on day two. reason they haven't gone back to that is all of those prospects on day two that year flamed out pretty terribly. So that's your second baseman. Who is our shortstop? Again, the Indians haven't had a ton of failures with shortstops. 
Uh, it's like second baseman. I, maybe I could have put out Cord Phelps, uh, who I thought was going to be as good as Kipnis at, at one point in time. Or talk about Dorsey's Paulino, who I had super high in the system at, at shortstop. But the difference with uh, Cord Phelps and Dorsey's Paulino is they were never top 100 prospects. Uh, you know, Trevor Crow was. That's why he's on this list. He somehow made a top 100, mostly because he had been a high first round pick. Coming back around, shortstop, we're going to go Corey Smith. Only played four games there, but he was a shortstop in high school. That's who he's listed as when he is drafted. One of those, towards the end of the Indians' run, he was a first-round pick, 22nd over, uh, 26th overall back in 2000. And was a you know an attempt at a swing-for-the-fences type. Big power potential from the kid from Plainfield, New Jersey. Uh... He was a little bit undersized, but had a swing, and that was the whole thing, that he was going to be a power hitter. And in the minors, he had some seasons. He had 26 home runs in 2008. Uh, by that point, he was in Anaheim's minors. He hit 21 in 2009 when he was in Kansas City's minors. Of course, the problem is by this time, he's older than a lot of the guys he's going against. You know, He's now moved into his mid to late 20s. He stuck around and played in the minors uh until he was 32 years of age never once made it to the big leagues for cleveland you know eventually after the 2004 season the indians and padres did a former big name prospect swap with jake gatro coming to the indians and Corey smith going out of town and i the problem with smith was yeah there was some power there and he even walked some but he just wasn't a good enough hitter he didn't hit for enough power he didn't make enough contact his OPSs and the minors were all under 800. The big power never really turned into... I mean, 19 home runs is not bad for him in his second season of repeating double-A. The problem is the first season he had nine. Uh, you know, the strikeout percentage was often, like, not obscenely high. Had some seasons at 18 and 20. Walk percentage was up near 9 or 10. Like, he had some tools. It just wasn't enough just was not enough for Corey Smith. And this is one of those things we're going to talk about in a bit in the second half of the show, so make sure to stay tuned. Our sponsor today is Postmates. What more can I say about Postmates than what I've already said about Postmates? Uh, take it easy on yourself. Use Postmates. Download the app on Android or iOS. Use the promo code LOCKEDON, and you're going to get $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. Take a week. Use that 100 bucks. Stay in. Uh, have them bring you your groceries. Have them bring you fast food. Have them bring you... I mean, just open the app and check it out. I've talked about it before. It's not only just a great service in terms of, hey, they're going to bring things to my door and I can be lazy. Or, hey, uh, you know, it's nice to not have to worry about this. It's also nice for just exploring your neighborhood and seeing what's out there, what's available, and trying some places that maybe you've never tried before. Remember to download the Postmates app and use that promo code Locked On, all one word, to get $100 of free delivery credit for the first seven days. So, let's uh, let's dive back in. There is the patented so, so you know that I'm I'm speaking about things again. But you know it stands out because when I'm looking at second baseman and I'm looking at shortstops, there weren't a ton. You know I, I discussed some names of guys that if you're a fan of the Indians, you know, but they haven't had the high profile failures for whatever reason. That's positions of strength. That's where they excel. First base types, DH types. Outfield types, oh, I've got a laundry list. Uh, that has just been an area where guys make big splashes in the lower minors, frankly, and it doesn't translate. 
Uh, there's one guy on here who made a splash above the double-A level. Um, you know, most of them are like Bo Mills, where it's like, okay, a good good season in Kingston, a good season in lower high A, and then nothing after that that was beyond, you know, average minor league production. So let's just talk about the one guy who uh, burst the bubble. I don't know, is that how I want to put it? But the one player who had a, a pretty big season uh, above a ball, and that's Matt Laporta, who was the centerpiece in the uh, the trade for CC Sabathia to the Brewers. Uh, it's interesting because nowadays, for a rental, I mean, you look at Sabathia, I mean, they got he was a rental at that point in time. It wasn't even a full season thing. He was a rental for the Brewers. The Indians got Laporta, who was a top twenty-five prospect at that point in time. Uh, they got Rob Bryson, who had been the back end of their top ten prospects for the Brewers. Just wasn't healthy, uh, became his big thing. And the Indians at the time were struggling with relief prospects. So he was, it's the same time you're looking at guys like Jess Todd and John Malone. They kept adding more relievers in trades because uh, it was just an issue in system. Uh, and then, of course, the player to be named later was down to, if you believe, Taylor Green, I believe, was the other guy, or Michael Brantley, based on uh, if they made the playoffs, who got to pick that. A trade that ended up working out for the Indians, not as well for um, Milwaukee, because something that gets forgotten is uh, Sabathia signed with the Yankees. Well, that doesn't get forgotten, but they also signed Mark Mark Teixeira that year, and because they signed Teixeira and CC Sabathia, Sabathia was viewed the lower value player, so the Brewers only got a second round pick back. This was before. I mean, there was the comp system. It was a little bit different, but teams could lose picks. Like, you could end up getting, like, the 11th or 12th overall pick uh, if a team who was drafting there signed your free agent. So the Brewers were doubly hosed because all they got was a second-round pick to show for it. But then again, with the way they were drafting at that point in time, probably doesn't matter. Laporta was interesting because he was a senior. You don't see a lot of guys who stick around college for their senior year, but he did. He was there as a senior. He had a fantastic season. Uh, I would have been writing him up and all over him uh, as a prospect at the time. I mean, let's just talk about the numbers of his senior year. 20 home runs, 55 walks, 16 strikeouts. Uh, He hit 400. So that's right. Uh, He had a 22.5% walk rate, a 6.5% strikeout rate. He hit 400 and he had 20 home runs. I Yeah, I would have made him nowadays if I saw those numbers that's like one of the top five players in the class uh things have changed a bit in terms of the uh college baseball and uh, yeah that was definitely during when we a, a very juiced ball era but still I mean those were just amazing numbers and before he came to the Indians that year in double a he was hitting 288 with 20 home runs in 84 games 12 percent walk rate 17 percent strikeout rate you know he was a right-handed bat, which the Indians had needed forever. He had been the seventh overall pick in the 2007 draft. The Indians got him in the in 2008, a year later. Uh, he was an excellent prospect. Like There was not a lot of holes there. And his failure at the major league level is kind of astounding because even in 2009 in Columbus, he had 299. Uh, he, was, he walked 42, uh, 10, nearly 11% walk rate to a 14% strikeout rate. Like He walked at a high amount. He struck out at a low amount for a power hitter, and he hit for power everywhere. And then it just never translated across. Uh, he's one of those, uh, you know, I love to figure out exactly what occurred, but 
he left the Indians, and when he uh, left the organization after the 2013 season, he went to Mexico for a year, and that was it. He never another team never even gave him a chance, and he didn't he actually played well in Mexico. But it's just an odd, odd case in general for Laporta in that outfield. Who else should we talk about? Nick Weglars. Uh, when I first got into prospects, Weglars was one of the top prospects in the Indian system. He was this Canadian kid who walked a lot, had power that was unlockable, but he had displayed some. And depending on where you looked, he was one of the big sleeper prospects in all of baseball. Uh, third round pick in 2015, right? 2015. And in his 2017 season, he's in Lake County and he hits 23 home runs, walks 82 times, has uh, bats 276. His OPS that year is an 892. And then he was just one of those, like, what happened guys? Because he has that year in Lake, uh, Lake County, gets up to Kinston at the very end of the year. Starts the year in Kinston, has a good season, but the power drops dramatically. The, the the strikeouts go down. He next year he repeats. Uh, I'm sorry, he jumps up to Akron. Uh, another solid season, but in the power rebound. So it's, he's still an interesting prospect. And he just starts getting hurt. 87 games in 2010, 30 or 41 games in 2011, and with those injuries, there was some power sapping. He ends up going to the Braves, plays two games in the minors in 2013, and that's a career. For him, it's just the odd, the injury situation. I mean, his minor league walk percentage is 15%. He hit for power at multiple stops in the minors. Uh, I mean, he was atrocious in the field. He was going to be a a first baseman, likely. But there was a lot of potential and ability there, and just an odd case. One of those, you know, this was back before we saw a lot of Canadian players get drafted, and he was this big sleeper, literally 6'3", 215, and... There were places, like I remember Keith Law had him as like a top 50 prospect and it just didn't come together. One of the more fascinating guys as I was going through this list, uh, you know, we talked about yesterday with Jake Dittler, who was a back of the top 100 guy once who, you know, wasn't necessarily the hugest prospect. There's a hitting version of that and that's Brian Barton. Uh, Brian Barton is an absolutely fascinating prospect to me. So he goes to Loyola Marymount. Then he ends up going to University of Miami, and his junior year at Miami, slash line 330, 415, 551, 956. He, that's a sophomore year. His junior year, 371, 451, 550. That's right, 550. Not a lot of power, uh, only seven and six home runs, but really high bat pips, which are a sign of quality contact rates. Uh, there was some swing and miss to his game. He did strike out nearly twice as much as he walked, but still, he was playing really well as a sophomore and junior, a good athlete, and he went undrafted. The Indians signed him as an undrafted free agent out of the University of Miami. Uh, There was some talk at the time that he was too smart. I remember that distinctly. He was an engineer. I think aerospace engineering, if I'm correct. And this is a time when the Indians' minors were atrocious. He played right, he played left, he played center. Uh, He played all over the outfield. Good athlete, very smart kid. And it was just this odd thing where he went completely undrafted out of high school. He had been a 38th round draft pick, went to college, and then after his junior year, no one drafted him and the Indians signed him. Uh, he's moving steadily through the Indian system. And in 2017, he plays in Akron. He plays in Buffalo that year. And in Akron, he hits 314, 416, 
440, 856 on base. And the Indians minors are hot trash in 2007. Uh, it is an absolute dumpster fire in minor leagues. Probably the worst that I've seen in my time covering. And I say this because the Indians chose not to protect him. And he goes in the Rule 5 draft to St. Louis and has the Uri hits uh, 268, 354, 392, 746 uh, OPS, which is, you know, he had an OPS over 700. That's not bad for a kid who got the sudden jump up. That's in 82 games. He does spend 19 in uh, AAA. And then it gets weird. So he has that good season, and St. Louis puts him in the minors. Eventually, he ends up going to Atlanta. He never, basically, this is why it gets weird. He never makes it back to the big leagues. He has one season, not even another cup of coffee or anything like that. He has the one season with good production and then never gets back. Solid bat in the minors, multiple points. He's playing pretty well. There were other points like where he'd go to the, he'd have to go to the, to indie ball. He wasn't even getting a shot with teams, minor league squads, and he'd get a short run with a, like, just a fascinating guy to me because, again, one season, 82 games, 153 at-bats, 268, 354, 392, 746, while playing three different outfield spots. I like Undrafted, even though he performed at a major conference. Uh, smart kid, just a real oddity in terms of why there were not more opportunities, why wasn't he drafted, everything. Why didn't the Indians protect him? He's one of those big... He has more whys tied to him than any prospect that I've ever covered just because there's so much that I don't know or I can't follow or I'm just like what occurred here here's the thing right now uh we are 22 minutes in and I still have a few more players to talk about I've got three more guys so we're gonna just power through they're not the most interesting ones as some of the other players in this group so we're just gonna power into it uh Brian Barton is to me the height of interesting because I just I I don't understand what occurred. I don't understand on so many levels. Uh, I just, I feel bad for him more than anything else. Like, why did he not get another opportunity? He did enough to get another look. There are so many terrible players who keep getting looks, and Barton had a solid season and didn't get that look. Let's talk about Brad Snyder, another one of those Indians, safe college guys who just didn't have enough. Another Ohio kid, uh, born in Sandusky, went to Bellevue High School went to Ball State, and was the 18th overall pick by the Cleveland Indians. Another Rule 5 draftee, as I recall. He moved steadily through the Indians' minors. I'm trying to find. He had a breakout season. Was it the 2005 season, maybe? Uh, after moving through the Indians' minors. His numbers were always, like in college, Ball State, okay? So this is 2003. Uh, he gets drafted that year. 405 batting average, 552 on base, 770 slugging, had 14 home runs. Walked 49 times. The thing here, though, is 45 strikeouts in, you know, the MAC at the time was was a, a decently high amount. I'm sure it's only a 17%, but uh, level of competition and everything else he was facing. Uh, and then he just he moved steadily through the minors, and then I think it was more this 2006 Arrow season. 270, 351, 446. He had 18 home runs. I'm trying to remember, there was another prospect at the time who had a name similar to Schneider's, and I can't remember who it was who ended up being a Rule 5 pick. That wasn't the case with Schneider. Eventually, he was let go by the Indians, and he would get to the big leagues. He would get some opportunities with the Rangers and the Cubs. 
got 30 games in the big leagues for his career. Uh, Indian struggles with outfielders go back a long time. Uh, Snyder was a, an interesting gamble by the Indians. It just didn't work out. What is interesting, though, is you go to the you know, his 2007, no, 2006 Arrows squad. Uh, that team is loaded with players that we have talked about on the show today. Uh, computers being a bit slow. Barton was on that team. Uh, who else did I saw? Trevor Crow was on that team. It was, and then uh, someone we didn't get a chance to talk about. My one of their players, I felt like I had to mention conceivably your DH is Michael Aubrey. Uh, Michael Aubrey is a guy who is the consistent what could have been. He hit really well in college. He looked like a potential top prospect, but at the same time was one of those super safe picks. Uh, 2003 draft, 11th overall. Out of Tulane, he hit 420 that year with 18 home runs, 34 walks, and 13 strikeouts. So he struck out 4% of the time. Again, this is an era you can see. College baseball has changed. The juice ball uh, started to leave after, a f- you know, a few years after this group of players. But the Indians kept going back to the college ranks and finding very little success. Now, uh, Aubrey was put into low ball right away. They had him skip the rookie league which is unusual for the time and in 38 games he mashed but if you're like well it's just 38 games in his second season he starts in Kinston makes it up to Akron now Akron things start to come undone uh, and he only played in 98 games total I feel like he never played in 100 games in a season I, I know eventually he did but it didn't seem like it but after that first 38 games 60 games in high A the next year He's hitting 339, 438, 550, 10 home runs in 60 games. A lot of reason for excitement. And then he just starts getting hurt. And it's always crazy to me that Adam Miller and Michael Aubrey were first-rounders in the same draft because they were both two of the great what-ifs. There hadn't been health issues. Unfortunately, there were. And Aubrey, who was billed as a potential gold-glove first baseman who could contend for a batting title... Got a few cups of coffee in the majors, uh, nothing extended, only played 46 games over two seasons in the big leagues, one with Cleveland, one with Baltimore, and that was it for him. It is interesting in the general area that in 31 games with Baltimore, uh, he was 27 years old, he had 90 at-bats, he hit 289 with a 326 on base and a 500 slugging. He wasn't bad, an 826 OPS. 31 games, I mean, that's enough you would think to get him more reps. Just didn't happen. Uh, when that season ended, he was have bat, will travel, ended up, or no, I'm sorry, he stayed with Baltimore, played the next year in their AAA squad. Uh, the batting average dropped. It seemed like he was trying to sell out for power, had his best power season uh, at any point that he's had in his uh, career, but uh, never got back to the big leagues. Another one of those where you kind of go, huh, well, that's odd. He was playing well. Why didn't he? Well, we, you know, Baltimore's trying to contend back in those days, and that's probably what happened is they just found a better option to play first base in 2010. So, uh, I did have an additional DH, Tim Costo. Do we spend the time on Costo? We've talked about him before. He was another college player. Like, it's just amazing how many high picks they spent on college bats that did not work. Played 40 games at short, 25 at third, one at second. 
75 in the outfield, 605 at first base. Six foot five, uh, the University of Iowa, who the Indians took eighth overall. Uh, he moved quickly through the minors, immediately put in high A, had a good season. But, I mean, this is the whole thing. So, drafted in 90, I believe, correct? Uh, no, yeah, drafted 90. Hits well, but no power. 91, he's in Cleveland in double A with Canton Akron. He's hitting well, but the power is even less. Uh, he's a 685 OPS. He was like a top 20 prospect, too, at that point in time in all of baseball based off of high draft pick, good half of a season, and does the flip with Cleveland where they end up winning by trading for Reggie Jefferson, who was another guy who was a multiple-time very high prospect who the Indians were able to then use to help uh, get Omar Vizquel. But Costo finally rediscovers some power with the uh, the Reds' double-A team, in uh, in '92, hits 28 home runs, but he's his on base is not great. Does get up to the majors, and you know he gets some time up there, but it's two years, 43 games, and yeah, they never the 28 home runs in '92. He never even came close to approaching that. You'd have to take his two highest season totals uh, across levels and combine them to get to that. It was an odd season for him. Just an odd performance, odd character in terms of the the college numbers and how highly he was viewed and how quickly the wheels started to come off and the Indians were like, yeah, we'll move him. Let's trade him now. Let's sell high before other teams get scouting reports on him. But uh, yeah, when you go through all this data real quickly, as this is a super long one tonight, it's very clear (laughs) two things, maybe three things. One, the Indians do really well with shortstop and second baseman. Uh, the majority of the busts that I found is someone like Tim Costo, who, you know, played 40 games at short because he was drafted as a shortstop in college, or that's where they were drafted as a high schooler. Uh, for guys who the Indians knew were going to have to move off that position, uh, those players have had some struggles. The guys who were no doubters up the middle, really hard to find those busts for the Indians, and they've had some really great players up the middle uh, for most of my life. The other thing. Uh, college bats have been just a disaster zone. Uh, I mean, we're on our way in a few years to adding Bradley Zimmer to this list if things don't improve, and it's another college bat. It's it's amazing how poorly they have done with college bats in the first round. It's just, and especially college outfielders slash first baseman slash DH, which are supposed to be the easy ones to get. Like those are the positions where uh, you know you move to those positions because you can't handle another one or. Those are the players we can project the easiest because it's just you mash here, you should mash there, and it, it doesn't work that way. And so we're seeing that taking a player uh, who has a thin margin for error, almost nobody goes into the minors and performs better than they did in college. Um, the numbers, you just it's a, it's a sieve, right? You know, it's a funnel. It keeps funneling away talent as you go down. And when you are already very limited in terms of what you can do, you end up getting shunted out pretty quickly. And that's what a lot of these draft picks were. They were very limited players who, at the slightest amount of not living up to the very thin margin uh, profile, meant there was nowhere to go. And, yeah, so long story short, avoid corner outfielders. Because, I mean, this whole list, Trevor Crow, Brian Barton are the only guys who were center field types, really. Corner outfields, outfielders, and first basemen, uh, the Indians should just not go anywhere near. 
Uh, I mean, even the players we talked about who were shortstops or third basemen uh, ended up being more first basemen when they got into the upper minors than anything else. And it's, yeah, it's, yeah, I'd say I, baseball's a hard game. I'd still love to figure out what went wrong with Brian Barton. That's going to be, there's all the whys there will keep me scratching my head till the end of time. But for the most part, I think this list shows what the Indians can do, what they shouldn't do, and what has not gone well for about 30 years. Speaking of over 30, that's what this podcast is. I hope you've enjoyed it. Give me your feedback. You can find me on Twitter at JeffMLBDraft. I'm going to push the mock draft to next week. Reason for that is simply A, time. I have several IEPs due in my day job. And B, it gives me something to talk about on the podcast. So keep your eyes peeled. I will have that coming soon. Thank you all for rating and reviewing all of that. Uh, it was fun this week that I got a Google alert that was actually about me, thanks to the WKYC podcast partnership. So thank you again all for downloading, listening, everything. And as always, go Tribe.